0: All right, I notice there's a lot of uh, younger children in our service today, and we have armed them uh, with Jedi swords. Um, So, parents, I'm going to need your help, if you could. Um, You, unfortunately, have a pastor that has ADD, so um, help me disarm all of our young Jedis till the end of the service, if we could. And so, young Jedi knights, please, if you would, put your swords away. All right, we'll use them at the end of the service. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn it to the book of John. This past summer, our teaching team got together along with uh, several people on our creative arts team, and we began to come up with a theme for Christmas, and with the Lord's help, we we just came up with a very simple word, which I think really captures uh, what this season is all about and certainly what many, many folks in our community are all about and what they need at this moment, just a very simple word, HOPE. What we agreed upon was that more than anything else during this Christmas season in northwest Atlanta, people just simply need hope. What is hope? Well, John Piper says hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope is not, not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And not only does it expect it to happen, but it is confident that it will happen. Back when we were planning and, and talking even about our, 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 our hope offering, we for years had called it a gift offering. We changed it this year to reflect um, even more so what we feel like um, is a better reflection of, of what we're trying to do with the offering. But we were thinking about just the, so many people who are struggling in our community right now, several people who are dealing with illnesses. We still hear of people who are losing jobs, some people who are losing their homes. Um, at the time that we... We're planning this whole weekend out. Uh, we had two of our staff members that were dealing with life-threatening uh, bouts with cancer. Uh, thank God both of those individuals have been healed. And um, we also knew that, uh, that our needs during Community Makeover, uh, which was in October, and then Hope for Christmas, which was, which was just a couple weeks ago, we knew that the needs were going to be greater than ever before, and, and that turned out to be true. I mean, so many people even especially during this time of year, feel lost. They they can't see a way out of their circumstances. There are people that that you know, maybe you're in this room this morning or this afternoon, who just feel like like you're dying inside. The world is crumbling around you. And so when God led us to this theme of hope, that's what we knew. That's what God had revealed to us. But here's what we didn't know. We didn't know that that one of our ministry assistants in our life care area was going to go home to be with the Lord in her sleep. On September 10th, um, we lost Sharon Flowers, just an amazing 46-year-old woman, mother of three beautiful children, a great wife, had been on our staff for over 12 years, and um, she just passed away in the middle of the night, unexpectedly. We certainly didn't know that on November 21st, our, our worship pastor, Andrew Prey, was going to be tragically killed in a cycling accident. Andrew, as you know, is 30 years old and, and uh, has three beautiful children all under the age of eight, um, uh, the husband, a husband of Courtney who has, has sung alongside of him for the, the last couple of years and uh, that funeral now has been viewed over 18,200 times in 57 different countries. I mean, it's been amazing just the, the, the outreach that Andrew's life has had on so many people and just as all, just with everything that we've been through, we, we've grieved our staff, our church, we've grieved together. This has been a difficult season for all of us. We, we didn't realize how much that we were going to need this this theme of hope ourselves when we were planning this Christmas weekend out. And we also didn't know that on December 14th, a, a young 20-year-old um, man by the name of a- Adam Lanza, we didn't know that he was going to walk into an elementary school in, in Newton, Connecticut, and shoot and kill 20 children along with six teachers and school administrators. Two, two Fridays ago, we... we begin to hear of this news, as we watched it unravel on our TV screens, we realized that our nation and, and even people around the world began to grieve. It was like this cloud of grief just settled over our whole nation. And of course, now when you turn on the news, we're, we're, we're being, you know, inundated with threats of a, of a fiscal cliff. There's this fear that that our nation is headed towards another economic recession. And so we are a people, we're a community, we're a nation, we are a world that is desperate for hope. We are longing, longing for hope. We desire for something good to happen in our future. Now, if I could just rewind for a moment. Uh, 2,000 years ago, I want to remind you that the nation of Israel was in a very similar situation. They had lived for, for many, many years under a very... Cruel Roman rule; they were under Roman oppression. The, the people of Israel felt lost, like sheep without a shepherd. They could they couldn't see their way out of their circumstances, and they had they had moments where they just felt like everything inside of them was just dying. And on top of that, their very own king, their Jewish king, Herod, was uh, was was a complete psychopath. I mean, if you remember the Christmas story, after Herod had met with the wise men. He ordered that every male child under the age of two years old in Bethlehem and its surrounding regions should be killed. I mean, my goodness, I think of the feeling of despair and the feeling of hopelessness that, that these people must have been feeling. I, I, I think it, that very same feeling of despair and hopelessness that so many people in our world are feeling today. A few, few days ago, I heard a prayer that author Max Lucado wrote that I, that I think brings together these two worlds beautifully. And I... And I I think it truly expresses how how many people are feeling at this moment. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, it's a good thing that you were born at night. This world sure seems dark. I I have a good eye for silver linings, but they seem dimmer lately. These killings, Lord, these children, Lord, innocence violated, raw evil demonstrated. The whole world seems on edge, trigger happy, ticked off. We hear, hear of threats of chemical weapons and nuclear bombs. Are we one button push away from annihilation? Your world seems a bit darker this Christmas, but you were born in the dark, right? You came at night. The shepherds were night nightship workers. The wise men followed a star. Your first cries were heard in the shadows. To see your face, Mary and Joseph needed a candle flame. It, it was dark. Dark with Herod's jealousy. Dark with Roman oppression. Dark with poverty. Dark with violence. Herod went on a rampage, killing babies. Joseph took you and your mom into Egypt. You were an immigrant before you were a Nazarene. Oh, Lord Jesus, you entered the dark world of your day. Won't you enter ours? We are weary of bloodshed. We, like the wise men, are looking for a star. We, like the shepherds, are kneeling at a manger. This Christmas, we ask you to heal us, help us, be born anew in us. Hopefully, your children. This Christmas, what we want more than anything else is just simply hope, a confident expectation. We desire that that, that something good is going to happen in the future. Well, I'd like to make an announcement this afternoon if I could. Hope has arrived. Hope has come. Ultimately, our hope is not built on politicians coming up with some last-minute solution to avoid this fiscal cliff. It's not based on lawmakers coming up with, with greater laws to protect us as citizens. It's certainly not going to arrive if, if you get a Christmas bonus or, or a better job or, or if somehow or another you, you're lucky enough to win the Georgia State Lottery. Hope arrived 2,000 years ago on a starry night in a little town called Bethlehem in the form of a, ba- of a baby. Here's how God chose to announce the, the arrival of hope to our world. He, he sent an angel, an angel of the Lord, to some lowly shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, this is how, this is what it, how it reads. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Hope had arrived. Hope came to to the world. Hope, Hope came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus who would be our Savior, who would be our Messiah and our Deliverer. He came so that we would have confidence concerning our future. As bleak as this world may seem, Jesus came to provide a hope in which we can be sure that good, good is, going to be hap- good is going to happen in the future. Well, I'd like to fast forward, if I could, 33 and a half years from baby Jesus in a manger to a grown man named Jesus because hope grew up. In the book of John, John describes a scene where Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples. He's actually reclining the Israelites are, are still under Roman oppression. The, the Pharisees have been trying for quite a while to find reason and cause to have Jesus put to death. He's already told his followers he's going to die. He's told his disciples that one of them was going to betray him. We knew that Judas was in, was in that conversation. He told them that he was leaving. He then predicted that Peter would deny that he ever knew him, not just once, but three times. And here these guys, here these guys are. They, they followed Jesus for more than three years. They believed that he was the Messiah, that, that, that he was truly God in the flesh. They believe that he was the hope of the world. And now he's telling them that he's going to leave them. And their hearts are overwhelmed with grief and, and fear and confusion. I mean, just imagine if you could for a moment this feeling of hopelessness that they must have been feeling as they sat together around this table. I mean, for a moment, it, it must have seemed like all hope had been lost. And then Jesus says something to them in John chapter 14, verse 1. He looks at his disciples and he says just very simply, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he gives them a brief description of where he's going and what he's going to be doing. And then he gives them quite possibly the boldest, most exclusive, most radical, out-of-the-box statement about himself that he had ever made. Thomas the skeptic asked him a question he said Lord we have no idea where you're going I mean how can we even know the way how can how can we know Lord where you're going and how can how can we have hope after you've told us all of this stuff I mean if you're not going to be in our presence how can we know with confidence that good is going to happen in our future Jesus says to them in John 14 6 he says I am the way I'm the truth the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. I want you to listen to what Jesus has told his followers. First of all, he said this. He said, I am the way. Now, when the Greek, the word way means road or path. In other words, Jesus calls himself the road and the pathway to God. One of the things that we have heard a lot over the last couple of weeks is people have tried to make sense of God during times of tragedy is that um, there are many paths to God or that we all worship the same one or that somehow or another all roads are going to to lead to the same place. We've heard that, that you can be a Buddhist or you can be a Muslim or a Hindu or a Scientologist or even an animist or a Mormon. It really doesn't matter because that's just your path to the same God that ultimately all religions worship. But Jesus makes a very bold, very exclusive comment here. He, he doesn't say, guys, I, I'm one of many paths to God. No, he says, I am the only way to God. I'm the only path. I'm the only road. If you really want to know how to get to where God is, if you want to know God intimately and personally, then look to me because if you know him, you know you also know me. There's only one path to get to heaven. There's only one path to God. There's only one path to redemption and forgiveness. And Jesus says, I'm that way. Then he says, it's a good time to clap. That's good news. Then he says this, he says, I'm the truth. Now in John chapter 1, the disciples, John points back to the Christmas story. And he makes, he makes this comment about Jesus in John 1, 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John refers to Jesus as the Word, and when he uses the word, Word, it's a capital W. It's the Greek word logos, and it means divine self-expression or speech. When John calls Jesus the Word, he is saying that Jesus is the expression of all that is true about God. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he's telling his disciples that the true expression of God is now in the world. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, then, then look to him, because not only is he God in the flesh, but he's... He is showing them. He's showing them everything that is true about God. He doesn't call himself a truth or or a truth of some God, but he calls himself the truth concerning the one and only God. And by claiming himself as truth, he, he put a stamp of false, a big stamp of false across every other belief system and religion. He makes a very, very bold, very exclusive announcement. He says, when it comes to revealing, when it comes to expressing, when it comes to demonstrating and being the truth about God, he says, I am it. He says, I am the truth. And then he says, I'm the life. In John 1.1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John says that Jesus is the one who holds life in his hands. He is responsible for physical life. He says, through, through him all things were created. Without him, nothing would have been created. He was not only there when everything in came, came into existence, but Jesus is saying, listen, I, I, I played a huge role in creating it, but he's also responsible for spiritual internal life. In verse 4, John tells us that when Christ came to this world, the life that he brought with him was the life that men needed. It was the life they had been waiting for. It was spiritual life. In John four sixteen, Jesus is simply reminding us that, that he is the author and the giver of both physical and spiritual life. He is not just a source of life. He is the source of life. And only because of him are we able to move and breathe. And only because of him and through him are we able to have eternal life after our lives on this earth are over. So how does this bold, very exclusive, radical, out-of-the-box statement give us hope? Well, to sum up this whole statement in three words, all we have to say this afternoon is this. Jesus is hope. Jesus is hope. Jesus said, if you know me, You also know my Father. And since you do know him, you've also seen him. Listen, we live in a dark world. Life can be extremely difficult, especially when you go through seasons of loss or seasons of grief or seasons of pain. Sometimes we feel lost. Sometimes we feel like we can't find our way. Sometimes we feel like the walls are caving in around us. However, there's a way, there's a truth, there's a life. There's always hope because Jesus is hope. Well, how can we trust that these words are true? I mean, we, we walk into a place like this and, and some of you, I, I know that maybe you haven't been in church in a long time or maybe you've never been in a church and um, you listen to words like this and you're looking at the Bible, you're listening to the words of Jesus and I know that there are a lot of skeptics out there. I mean, how can we trust that what Jesus said is actually true? I mean, can't we all figure out this thing on our own? Can't we all figure out our own path, our own way, our own truth? I mean, how can we know with confidence that what Jesus says is really ultimately truth? Well, you have to look at Old Testament prophecies, first of all. Jesus' birth, his life, his death, they perfectly fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. Old Testament prophets, they described hundreds of years before it ever happened, they described the, the, the Savior's birth and his life and his death and his resurrection down to the down to a t. Jesus matched every single description. When when Jesus was born to a virgin in 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 a tiny town called Bethlehem, he began fulfilling prophecies. Statistics state that there is a one in 100 million billion chance to fulfill even eight prophecies, and yet Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. The I am statements that we've been studying here at Westridge over the last several weeks our fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So you go back and you look at the Old Testament and you can see, you can see the fulfillment of truth. We also can look at some of Jesus' other claims and even his miracles. Jesus told people that his existence was eternal, that, it was, that he even predated Abraham. He claimed to have the same authority as God. He claimed to actually have equality with God. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus actually called himself Yahweh. Now I want you to know, that would have been considered blasphemous, a cause for death in Jewish culture. There were also eyewitnesses that watched him turn water into wine. There were those that were with him when he, he looked at hurricane-sized winds out in the middle of, an, uh, in the middle of a big lake and with, with just a couple words, calm the seas. There were thousands of people that were around him when when he healed people that had been lame since birth. There were others that saw him take enough food to feed a small family and multiply it to feed thousands of people. I mean, either this guy was a raging lunatic or he was truly the Son of God. And then we look at the empty tomb. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples found an empty tomb. Listen, the Roman authorities, they did everything they could To prove that resurrecting from the dead was totally impossible, they took a huge massive stone and rolled it in front of the entrance of Jesus' grave. They put the Roman seal on it. They put big armed Roman soldiers in front of the tomb. And yet, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the, the mother of James and John, went to the tomb, there was no body. I mean, think about this. Had the Romans been able to produce a body, Christianity would have died right there on the spot. But Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He walked amongst people. More than 500 people give eyewitness to the fact that they saw a risen Jesus. Hallucinations don't happen in groups. Jesus made a very bold statement. He said, I am the way. He said, I'm the truth and I'm the life. And when he did, it was was in perfect alignment with God's word. And because of that, we can know that what Jesus says is absolute truth. Well, if this Jesus made the statement, and we know it's true, then how can Jesus be our hope this Christmas? Because I tell you, there's a lot of folks in this room tonight that truly need hope. Let me answer this question by first reminding us that the Bible teaches us that we're all sinful people and that the God of the universe is perfect and sinless. And because of that, we have a huge problem our sin separates us from God. And the fact is, there's, there's nothing we can do to change that. We can't follow enough rules. We can't do enough good things. We can't spend enough time in church to make up for this, this sin mess that we find ourselves in. I mean, honestly, this is the biggest hopeless situation we, we, we could possibly be in. And yet, this is where Jesus comes into the story. God didn't come into the world as Jesus just to hang out with us. He came into the world to lay down his life for us. He was born into the world to ultimately give his life on a cross. He came to take on himself all the punishment that your sin and my sin deserved. He did it so that that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be fully accepted and loved by God. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat hell for us, to give us the ability to, to have eternal life. Jesus gave us eternal life to anyone who who would put their faith and trust in Him alone to be their Savior. And I know that this afternoon, some of you feel hopeless, and it's a tough place to be. Well, what does hopelessness look and feel like? Well, the Bible uses a few words to describe this feeling. I've mentioned them several times already throughout this talk this afternoon. You've heard Jennifer Rogers on the screen just a few moments ago use these actual, actual words. We see words like lost, blind and dead throughout Scripture. However, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because hope has come to earth in the form of a Savior, I want you to know that lost people can now be found. When Jesus says he's the way, it gives us hope that we don't have to wander around in in our sin anymore, that we don't have to wonder which path is the right one to take, because he is the path. Through him we can find our way back to to a, a meaningful, eternal relationship with God. Blind people can now see. When Jesus says he's the truth that gives us hope because he's telling us that we don't have to be confused when it comes to who God is or what he's like, but that we can know by looking at Jesus that God is actually a God that is full of grace and compassion and that God loves sinful people enough to offer them redemption and salvation for their sins through his son Jesus. The Bible tells us that when we were at our worst moment, God sent Jesus to pay for our sins. Then we can also have hope because now dead people can now have eternal life. When Jesus says he's the life, it gives us hope because he's telling us that we don't have to wonder what's going to happen to us after we leave this earth. If we'll put our faith in him and believe that he is God and believe that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life, then we can live every day of our lives with confidence. We actually can live every day of our lives with hope hope That after this life on earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in his presence. So in a world that offers us all kind of unexpected surprises that turn our lives upside down, in a world that is struggling to make sense of, of darkness and evil, in a world that is full of fear, wondering what's going to happen next, where do we find our hope? We find our hope in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is hope. He's our hope this afternoon. Psalm 130, verse 7 says, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. Psalm 39, verse 7 tells us, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? The psalmist says, My only hope is in you. Listen, if we know know the way... If we know Jesus is the truth and if we know him as the life, then we actually have a firm foundation of hope to stand upon. It doesn't matter what comes into your life. We have a firm foundation to stand on. We can know and expect with all confidence that our future is secure because hope lives inside of us. And because hope lives inside of us, we can live with a confident expectation that something good is in our future. And I want you to know this afternoon you can know hope you can personally know hope with our heads bowed for just a moment and if it would help you to block people out just by taking just by closing your eyes I'd like to invite you to do that i want to just tell you jesus came to this earth not just to stay in a manger but to grow up as a man and to lay down his life for your sins so that he could bring you back into a right relationship with God. And there are many of you in this building at this moment that if you were honest with yourself, you would have to admit that you are far, far, far away from God. When we talk about words like lost and blind and dead, you relate to those words because that's how you're feeling at this moment. Jesus came. He came so that lost people could be found, so that blind people could now see, and that dead people, spiritually dead people, could have life. And this afternoon, if you will put your faith and your trust in what Jesus Christ has done, has done for you, you can truly know hope. Hope can live inside of you, can give you a confident firm foundation for the future some of you may be going I have no idea what to do next why don't you pray with me just say Lord Jesus I need you to be the hope of my life at this moment I need to have confidence to know that if this life were to end at this very moment Lord that my future is secure in you that my eternity is secure not because of anything I've done not because of any good work not because of church attendance or anything else, Lord, truly and simply because of what Jesus Christ did for me on a cross. The Christmas story, Lord, thank you so much that we celebrate the birth of Christ. But Father, we also celebrate tonight his death and his resurrection. And because of his resurrection, Lord, I'm alive. So, Lord, I need forgiveness of sin. I repent of my sin. I ask for forgiveness, Lord, I ask that you will redeem me back to a right relationship with God. And it's only through Jesus that, in which that could happen. So I put every bit of trust and every bit of faith that I have in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And today I receive the free gift of salvation to make the right things right with God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. In Jesus' name.